0: back to Check Displeased, a podcast where we're reading through Check Please, the webcomic, one strip at a time to talk about how we feel about it now that the comic has concluded. Today, we'll be looking at 1.18 Playoffs Part 1, which was originally posted to the Check Please Tumblr on July 12th, 2014. I'm Secret OMG. Who's on the line? It's Tomato. You're welcome. At least where I am on the other side of the world, it is currently the 3rd of August, which means today is Jack Zimmerman's 30th birthday. Now, he's not a real person, so I guess it doesn't matter. But I wanted to take a moment to pontificate on a belief that I hold, which is that 30 is not old. And not only is 30 not old, but I don't believe that adulthood is a real thing. I believe that it's a capitalist construct. I reject the notion of people like aging. I feel like it's basically a fiction that we tell ourselves so that we'll shackle each other to burdens of responsibility to the state or some shit like that. And I'm confident that Jack Zimmerman, probably by age 30, would have learned the same and agreed with me and gone to live on a bottom separatist commune. I would also like
1: to state that I just looked up what Jack's sun sign would be what I would like to tell you all is that I get along well with Leo. So it cements my belief that Jackson Merman and I would be friends. This is a lie. I do not think Jackson Merman and I would be friends. I think we would bore each other very intensely. However, I support his bottom separatist campaign. I will donate to his GoFundMe and I want his sign to look nice. So Biddy is sitting in his
0: dorm room vlogging about how Samuel has made it into the playoffs. But more than that, he's excited about the fact that the way Jack has been playing lately is spectacular. They've been playing on the same line for a while now and Biddy just has to pass him the puck and he scores a goal I guess. So celebrating one of these games in which Jack Zimmerman has scored in fact three goals the boys from the hockey team are hanging out at you know some diner which we know from the blog is called Jerry's. They're all toasting to Jack's hat trick. Biddy makes a comment about how he thought Jack didn't drink, but Jack is like, well, I do sometimes. Then they see that Jack is being discussed on TV on some sports channel. And what the commentators are basically saying about him is that he should have gone into the NHL. And because he didn't, he's never really going to have a successful hockey career. Jack overhearing this, becomes upset and storms out of the restaurant. Biddy's concerned for him and his friends are angry that the sportscasters
1: were saying mean things, but that's the end of the strip. I would like to posit that this might be the first kind of good non-hockey print strip that we've come across.
0: All right. Well, I did not write this down on the outline, I don't think. But once again, I think that you could probably get rid of Biddy's <laughs> vlog at the start of the comic.
1: But I guess what the vlogs do is kind of allow you a little narrative method of skipping time. The thing about web comics is that in comics in general, is that you can very easily skip time because comics don't actually follow the same kind of chronological rules as your average novel or something, which, by the way, can also just ignore chronology if they want to. But comics are especially elastic in this regard. You could see the vlogs as opening a door into the Check, Please! universe every time they come up, so so Biddy sort of is like, okay, here's the context, and here's what happened. Record scratch. Eric Biddle is a... you know, Whatever. So I guess they serve that function, but this one really like truly doesn't do anything. It does not give us any new information. It doesn't show us in your bun doing anything except cuddling with a Samuel pennant, which is weird. Samuel getting into the playoffs and Jack being really good at hockey or information, but like that comes across much more strongly and much more effectively with the sportscasters. So, yeah, I don't know why it's here.
0: I don't think the vlog post at the start of this comic is actually establishing anything about time being skipped because we have no frame of reference for when any of these strips are taking place whatsoever.
1: I don't think it's doing a good job. I think that that's something that I could see being the rationale behind them being there is that they allowed Ngozi to sort of like skip around the year as she wishes to rather than like every strip is a week or something, you know? But comics themselves are elastic. That's how, you know, sort of the endless present can exist in Peanuts or whatever. So I don't think it's necessary, but I could see that being the rationale. Put that aside, I think what's interesting about this strip is that we get some
0: hockey play, but not a lot of hockey play. So we've talked a lot about why aren't we seeing these developments in the hockey plots? Why are we being told about them? Well, here's an example of us being shown as Biddy discusses what's happening. And I think this is a nice, efficient way to show us what's going on with the hockey team. Only one panel that sort of tripartite is devoted to hockey in the strip. But I think it works well here. In terms of, like, what's specifically going on in that panel, on the right, there's, like, a face behind Jack and Biddy embracing. I wish that face wasn't there. I think it's, like, really ugly and badly drawn, and I think it's, like, very obviously just like another layer that could have just been turned off.
1: I don't know why Ransom sort of gleefully being behind them as they hug is important anyway, because isn't the point of this to show their developing relationship or something? That would be my guess. So I don't know why Ransom is so badly drawn that it didn't even
0: occur to me that it was Ransom or even anyone specific. I thought it was just like, another hockey
1: player going, yay, hockey, or whatever in the background. I'm pretty sure it's Ransom because of the face shape, but anyway, yeah, it's bad. The other thing I would like to point out, I know that I'm a broken record, but like truly Biddy looks like he's five and it's wild. That said, I really like this sort of panel. I think it's really effective. I think it gets across a lot of what's happening on the ice. Unlike other explorations of hockey in the comic thus far. I think it does a really good job in very efficient way of kind of showing how relationships on the ice develop. Like, I think you get a real sense of the camaraderie and the really effective partnership between Biddy and Jack on the ice here. And I really, really wish... That we like saw this more often, especially when relationships between various people on like would reflect something that happens on the ice or something. I think like it's really nice and, and I wish it happened more often.
0: Yeah. So I would actually propose that uh, you don't need Biddy's voiceover on this page. I think so long as you've got the vlog on the first page, just get rid of Biddy talking over these scenes.
1: I think it's clear
0: without the text what's going on.
1: I mean, this is something that we've talked about now, though, a couple of times, Ngozi's, like, unwillingness to just let the story tell itself through her very strong visual language and how she's, like, always kind of like hammering what she's doing home without sort of letting readers interpret for themselves. I guess this is a version of that. Like it's one of the weaknesses of her writing.
0: I would also point out that in the middle section on this page, we have the debut of what I would call Jack's like hockey pupils. When he's playing hockey and like really concentrating, his pupils shrink down to like very, very small, almost the smallest we ever see them. And I believe this is the first time we see him doing that. It's almost like he's
1: focusing in on the puck. Why doesn't Ngozi use this? Try split panel more. Uh, in addition to the fact that Biddy's voiceover doesn't really add anything to the tripart panel, I wonder whether I don't. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a bit like these are much more dynamic body positions than most of the positions that we've seen thus far. And even though Ngozi's visual style has really, really solidified and gotten much stronger, I wonder if it's just kind of like hard to draw but I think it's really effective. So I wish we saw more of it.
0: Yeah, it's not that the panel is divided into threes that I think is effective. I think it's the fact that she's not drawing an entire hockey game. She's just peppering in one or two images of things going on with hockey. So we talked a lot about how in line mates, Biddy gets moved to the first line with Jack because that's been working for them in practice. And up to this point, the only hockey we've seen full on play has been an entire strip that only concerns like one hockey game. So what I'm saying is, you know, you don't have to draw an entire strip of like a full on hockey game or like even a complete hockey play to show us what's happening with hockey. You could just show us like one or two images of Biddy and Jack, you know, successfully passing to each other during practice before you tell us that they've been doing well in practice. So now they're gonna be on the same line in a hockey game. That's what I'm trying to say. And like, yeah, it is true that drawing hockey play is probably both harder and also in some ways less interesting than a bunch of guys sitting in a booth at a restaurant or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think she does a very good job, at least not here, of like mixing up like different things to sort of, pick and choose from a broader range of like what information the viewer is getting and the only reason why i think this is worth digging into as much as we have is because we keep saying that like Biddy telling the reader blah 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 is happening is not that effective or not that interesting So again, this is the, like, you don't have to do a whole strip of, like, a hockey game to show us what Biddy is learning about hockey. You can put in, like, a third of one page, and it's good enough.
1: I guess if you think about this, as we discussed, Ngozi's sort of cinematic approach in the way that this is kind of like stills. Like this panel is essentially a montage, and I wish she had maybe made more use of the possibilities that montage offers, especially because the comic is not beholden to, you know, covering every second of every day. So montage is a really good way of getting across a lot of information in a short amount of time, especially it is a classic part of rom-coms. So, you know, you'd think that it would be a strategy she'd employ more, but not so much.
0: Uh, Yeah, montages are also used pretty frequently in sports narratives. It's how you show that somebody is improving at sports, like the training aspect of somebody's athletic journey is often shown in a montage. It's actually something that they have made fun of on South Park, not in the hockey episode, but I think in the one where Stan is skiing, it's called... Aspen, A-S-S-P-E-N. They show little scenes of him, like, getting better at skiing, and you know, there's a little song over about how, like, you know, if you need to show a lot of things happening in a short amount of time, just do it with a montage. If this is a montage in this particular strip, it's like a it's like a very adapted one. Panels one and two of Biddy shooting and then Jack shooting follow each other immediately. I guess because there's less kinetic energy between panels two and three than there is between panels one and two, it's slightly less related. But yeah, I mean, when I think of a montage, I don't think of like a series of cause and effect events in a single hockey game. I'm thinking of like several different hockey practices or like a whole week of Biddy's life.
1: I still feel that this to me has the energy of a montage. Like it feels montage-like to me, this panel, even if actually the events are pretty close in time. I think that she could have used this as a montage strategy for other moments. Like if after Biddy's first disastrous, you know, check-in clinic with Jack, we occasionally had like a panel peppered with another check-in clinic where Biddy's getting better or something. You know, I think that that would have the effect of a montage and would have been really effective. It would have been fun to see. And it's a way of letting us sneak into that growing relationship on the ice without, as you said, having to devote an entire strip to it.
0: I'll also say I love a montage. I mean, up to this point, almost every strip has existed almost uniformly in one setting or even like just one moment. Like the events that are happening in Jerry's for the rest of this strip are elapsing over what? Like 60 seconds. We're seeing just like representative moments that elapse very quickly.
1: Yeah, and that that remains true throughout much of the comic. I don't know, that's interesting. I'm also thinking about the impact that realizing that a strip takes place over like 60 seconds or something after, you know, a month's long hiatus and how that would feel as a reader. Once we get to Jerry's, everybody is toasting Jack
0: on having scored a hat trick. A hat trick is when a player scores at least three goals in a game of hockey. And I say hockey, but it's not limited to hockey. Hat tricks also occur in any sport where goals are scored. I believe it originated in cricket, actually. However, it's like definitely a part of hockey culture and the... um, thing that you see people do, at least in the NHL, when a player scores a hat trick, is the audience members who are wearing hats take them off and throw them onto the ice at the, at the player who has scored the hat trick. I don't have much to say about this and it's not something I want to dwell on, but I will note that Lardo is not in this trip It doesn't really mean anything that she is or she isn't, but in terms of her being part of like the group, this is definitely just like the boys. Like if you're trying to integrate this character into the cast, here's a place where you could have done it and she's not there. It's very much just like these five dudes still. Uh, Jack and Biddy are sitting next to each other, so I guess they're friends now. Their last interaction was this tension resulting from Biddy being put on Jack's line. So I guess we're just supposed to presume that the tension was resolved. If that's the case, then the tension was just resolved because, like, that change of Biddy being moved to Jack's line resulted in, like, the team starting to do really well, and Jack and Biddy starting to play really well together, which sort of like, raises the question of whether or not their entire friendship is basically rooted in their hockey compatibility.
1: I think that that's a really interesting point. And you suggested that if this is the case, then that evolution of their friendship is somewhat explored in line mates. But... I don't think it's very effectively explored if that's the case. like I actually think that's really revealing and interesting about Jack and his priorities and how he makes friends, if that's true. But I don't think it's well shown, or at least it doesn't feel deliberately shown. Most pieces of fiction give you kind of rules for how to read them. You know, I mean, a very basic example would be like, you read a fantasy book and then the first page a dragon shows up. So now you know that the, the rules of this world allow dragons. And I'm kind of realizing as we read the strip and just now when you were talking about this, I kind of put together that one of the things that's difficult about Check, Please, is that A, it doesn't really make the rules for understanding it very clear. Like, it's never clear how much time has elapsed between the last comic strip and this one. Don't know how to read the relationships between each character because we don't get a lot of clear consistency in the way that those relationships are shown. And then also, even though Ngozi isn't employing a lot of different storytelling strategies, I do think that there is a kind of lack of consistency in the kind of scenes being shown, even though the form in which they're shown is very similar. So there's like a vlog introduction and then like something happens. There's not a lot of patterns in which moments were being shown. So it's like harder to learn how to read those moments in comparison with each other. So for example, we've never seen Jack and Biddy kind of getting to talk to each other about anything other than hockey until this moment, except for that moment when Biddy kind of pushes himself into Jack's space when Jack is talking to his dad on the phone. If we'd had more moments of them together, maybe we would know how to read them better and and that evolution, and also there would be more chance for that evolution to be shown. So, I don't know, I think that's maybe one of the problems of, of sort of reading this deeply is that there's not consistent rules about how to read it.
0: I've always been sort of frustrated by the way that Jack's drinking or lack thereof is handled. It sticks out to me in a bizarre way in this particular comic. I almost feel like it's a detail that shouldn't be here. I don't understand, like, what this is doing here or what the point of showing it is. I think there are a couple of possibilities. One is that it's making the thematic point that people are always gossiping about Jack like the announcers are about to do starting in like a panel or two and Biddy needs to get to know him rather than relying on what other people say so thematically that would sort of make sense but I also don't necessarily feel like Biddy ever really does get to know him that well I think it's also possible that she, that Ngozi didn't want to give Jack like too much baggage. So it's possible that she decided to just sort of like retcon that earlier statement a little bit. Something that's interesting about this retconning or complicating Jack's relationship to alcohol is that the other major thing we learn about Jack in that specific strip is Ransom and Holster communicating to Biddy that Jack is upstairs getting sucked off by a puck bunny, presumably meaning a woman. If the claim that Jack doesn't drink is being challenged, are we meant to be reconsidering the claim that he's like, wheeling a lot of chicks as well? Is that part of this? Or is that like way too much thought for this particular like offhand, oh, I thought you didn't drink. No, I do sometimes interchange
1: in this strip. I don't ever think it's too much to read into anything ever to basically any depth. I will say I'm not sure that that was the intention, although I think it's a really interesting thing. And maybe it's just sort of haphazard and lucky, but I, I'm into that as a challenging of a previous statement about Jack and sort of pushing on the mythos of Jack, you know? I do also like this, actually. It's something I responded to the first time I read the comic. I kind of liked that his relationships to substances were being explored in this way and in a not necessarily linear or clear way because it feels very real to me in the way that different kinds of people might modulate or think about their relationship to substances, especially given previous substance use. So, for example, Jack's problem was not alcohol. However, alcohol was something that made it easier for him to do whatever like, drug use he was engaging with when he was a teenager. So that was interesting for me. It felt like characterization work and it felt like it gave me information about his either addiction or like, unwise drug use of the past. I am not sure that that's actually what's happening, but it felt that way to me at the time, and it also kind of told me that he probably wasn't using. If you make a series of assumptions about what kinds of anti-anxiety meds he was using as a teenager, this gives me some information about what about the fact that he's probably not like using. It, uh, he's probably not taking like a benzodiazepine or something, you know because you are not supposed to mix those with alcohol. They're very, it's very dangerous. And that felt like interesting information to me. I am not sure that that was the intent at all, but that's how I read it the first time I read it. Yeah. But first of all,
0: people mix like anything with everything. Like people don't necessarily follow those guidelines. So what you're supposed to do doesn't necessarily mean people aren't doing it. Yeah, I mean, if this were a larger story about, like, Jack's mental health and recovery and his interiority, as we keep saying, then these would be interesting details. But actually, this is the end of this, period. In the first few strips of the comic, there was a conversation where somebody said, Jack doesn't drink. Now, in this strip, Jack is saying, actually, I do drink sometimes. And that's it. That's all the information we're given, like, within the comic. And it never comes up or, like, is relevant. It's not part of the story at all in any way. It sticks out as bizarre to me and, like, not necessarily a natural inclusion because it's not really going anywhere. And as I think I probably said before on this podcast and also just out in the world For many, many years, I really did think that, like, this comic was, like, layering in little clues that were gonna build up to, like, a big reveal of, like, a specific backstory that was actually particular to the plot. But now I know that they're, like, that's not the case. It's just another of, like, 85 things we've already encountered so far that's, like, a bizarre throwaway detail that is never part of anything larger than just, like, this weird offhand exchange.
1: I think what feels different to me about this than many of those other details is that I do actually believe, like truly do believe, there was some kind of story or reveal that never happened. So I don't know whether or not this detail would have been brought up in that, but I do think that this time of Jack's life, which led to him being someone who is talked about as someone who doesn't drink or like has a complicated relationship to substances or something, like I really feel... I mean, we'll see if I still feel this as we continue to read, but I really do think that however ineptly that backstory was going to come up and then it didn't. I take your point. This doesn't ever come up again. Therefore, it's frustrating. However, I can't detach my original sort of delight in this reveal, this, however small, about Jack that I felt when I first read the strip and was still trying to figure out who Jack was.
0: I share in the conspiracy theory that there was going to be more about Jack and his history and what happened in the queue and what actually caused him to miss the draft. That's something I've always felt. At the same time, it is a conspiracy theory. It's never been like confirmed or proven. And the point is, it's not in the comic. So the fact that this is being raised and then is not materially part of anything larger. It's just this odd offhand comment is notable because it's not building toward anything in the final form of the comic. And now that we've like gotten the whole story and we know it's not in there, we can, you know, this is what we're here to do is like make sense of like, what is the point of having these different things in the story? And the point at this juncture, we now know is... Kinda nothing, like uh, again, you could strip it away and it wouldn't necessarily be adding anything. You wouldn't lose anything if you just didn't have this moment. But to build out the case that this is part of, you know, a larger reveal about Jack and his past that just never comes, we do learn more about him and his history. This is where we learn that he was a, you know, number one draft prospect. And then we also have a really interesting series of statements made by those announcers, which are worth evaluating claim by claim. So the first thing that's asserted here about Jack is that he should be playing in a larger league or he should have ended up going into the NHL as a free agent. They don't say any name of a particular league, but there are leagues other than the NHL that are professional leagues that aren't like, you know, the amateur NCAA. So he could be in the ECHL, he could be in the AHL, which is, you know, when people talk about sending somebody down from the NHL, The AHL is the league that's affiliated with the NHL as like a junior league. There are also myriad foreign leagues in all different parts of the world, I guess mostly Europe, that have American players in them or welcome American players into them. So there are plenty of venues in which Jack could be playing hockey that are more advanced and more professional than Samwell but also aren't the NHL. So they're making the point that Jack should not be fucking around with college. And I do want to clarify that in theory, that's true. People's NHL careers are relatively short. So every year Jack is at Samwell, he's shortening his professional NHL career, not just because he's exposing himself to potentials for injury that could take him out of the game, but also because the closer he creeps up to retirement age, the less time he has to play. So the point at which he enters the league when he's 25, his peers have already been playing for seven years. He's lost those seven years. That's seven years in which he could have been winning Stanley Cups. He could have been getting consideration for various awards. That's seven years during which he would have, if he was a really good player, securing endorsements and getting representation, earning raises and bonuses. And I realized that, like, Jack, probably doesn't need the money and as we can see from this trip, he doesn't necessarily want like the media scrutiny and it does seem like he just loves hockey and he'd play it under any circumstance but like there is a reason why there's concern about the fact that he's doing this and not playing in the NHL and it's because the point of this is it's like an industry and instead of participating in the career he's like doing something else entirely now, of course, the argument that the comic sort of makes is that this is something that he really needs to do for like his own spiritual growth and that he couldn't be like a whole and healthy, complete human being if he didn't spend this time going to college. Like there is no Jack who can be in professional hockey without his four years at Samwell and his two previous years coaching Wee hockey before it. At the same time, the commentators don't, like, know him, and their job is not to, like, analyze him emotionally. What they're saying on the surface level is true. Like, they are not wrong. He is drastically shortening, like, the prime of his hockey career to do something else.
1: Even though the comic is making the argument through its plot that this is what Jack needs to be you know, quote, healthy, unquote, whatever that means, because we don't really access any part of his interiority, recovery, relationship to anxiety, the development of his relationship between anxiety and hockey, we never see any of that. So even though that's the argument that's sort of being made by the fact that he goes to Samwell and then succeeds, spoilers, it works out for him. It's not a, It's not an argument that's being made well or in a nuanced fashion. Another component of this is
0: that the level of play in the NHL is like drastically more advanced than that in NCAA hockey. It is a grueling 82-game-a-year schedule with literally the top hockey players in the world. If we were talking about a real-world person, he's going to end up meeting like, at least a season, if not a few seasons, to A, get on the roster of the professional hockey team that he ends up being uh, recruited to, and B, like acclimating to and sort of leveling up to compete against the other people in the NHL. Of course, this is like a wish fulfillment romance comic, so that ends up not being a problem at all, but, Somebody coming from ECAC to the NHL, like in the real world, would probably need at least like a season or two or three to sort of like even out and like find their footing in the NHL. And then he's like in his late 20s by the time he's actually like on a roster and playing. Of course, again, that doesn't end up happening here. But you can see the sort of like real world logic that these people on TV are like speaking from.
1: We haven't actually entered wish fulfillment territory yet. Yes, the comic is sort of maybe ill-paced or maybe there's some smoothing of the rough edges of what sort of the college hockey world is like and the NHL is like. But I don't actually think we've entered everything is perfect territory. We're still living in a world where... Jack Zimmerman is assumed to be wheeling chicks and is, it, it's said freely. We're still living in a world where homophobia exists. I don't think that the comic is so far removed from the reality of the NHL as will come. And that, you know, puts into context that these journalists are not just sort of being mean to, you know, center of the universe, Jack Bitty. Biddy. They're kind of just like part of this complex world that we're getting a peek into, however imperfectly. So it's a little different than it will be later in the comic. This is also something that like real NHL prospects talk about having to get used to playing in the NHL and the honestly, as you said, totally grueling level of practice, play travel, workout schedules, very, very disciplined life that it requires. I think at this point, the comic is still in conversation with that world as opposed to the world it will eventually enter by the time the NHL shows up in the strip.
0: These announcers then make the claim that Bad Bob had this kid set up to be a number one draft pick. Realistically, it makes sense that like, yeah, Jack's dad would have done whatever he could to help Jack. Even if Bob didn't do anything specifically, even if he didn't make any phone calls, even if he wasn't like whining and dining people, even if he wasn't like going around effectively like politicking for Jack, it is the case that he would have been looked at more closely and elevated within the sports by nature of his father's reputation. No matter what it was that Bob actually did, to a certain extent, yes, Bad Bob had this kid set up to whatever it was that Jack was supposed to have done. It's interesting that you could read this statement as these announcers attributing some of Jack's early success, not to his own talent and hard work, but to his father's influence. And I think it's worth discussing why Jack seems so sensitive to this. It's possible that if Jack feels like he's worked really hard and he's suffered, then he would naturally resent this statement for diminishing his own skill and effort and indeed individuality. At the same time, there is this tension between whatever actual effort Jack has put into his own hockey career and the fact that no matter what Jack does it's just always going to be the case that he has had privileges which have helped him like within hockey specifically nobody else in the queue or the NHL will have had like the leg up or the special consideration that Jack will have had, regardless of whether or not he wants it, and regardless of how hard he actually worked. Every single other person Jack is playing with will have had to have worked much harder just to get noticed, whereas Jack would have been looked at and noticed by default. I would also like to raise the point that it's possible that one of the reasons why what these people are saying makes Jack feel so bad is because he does know that, because he knows there's truth to it. We really broke down the concept of luck in sports and luck in hockey and how Jack sort of bitterly tells... Biddy that uh, the goal he made against Yale was a lucky shot. To a certain extent, the fact that, like, this is Jack's dad and this is the background that he's coming from is the element of luck in his story. He could not possibly be where he is doing what he's doing without the luck of having been born the son of Bob Zimmerman.
1: I assumed that that was the case the first time I read this, and I assumed that this was the reason for Jack's Daddy issues, as Ngozi would call them, or, you know, Jack wants to fuck his dad issues, as I might call them. This is why this particular strip, I think, because it doesn't actually lead to anything, you're right, it's a very frustrating strip, but I, it feels very deep to me still in the all the ways you can read into Jack's character based on what's happening. And his insecurity about this feels very complex and real and unresolvable to a, like a single character trait in this moment because of these things that you've raised and i think that's why i still really have a fondness for this strip and i still think it feels like it's building towards something even though i know it's not i still feel the sort of like rising energy in it and feel the emotional impact that this is having on jack and then that gives me all sorts of thoughts about jack as a character right so i think it's really effective as a strip even if In the comic as a whole, we actually don't ever find out what Jack thinks about his relationship with his dad or how that impacts the way he feels about being in the NHL or at Samwell or anywhere else. But yeah, when I first read this, I absolutely thought that that's why that was totally my interpretation that he knew that this was why he's gotten where he is and why he honestly can even still think about the NHL. Like, I think if maybe Jack's dad were not bad Bob and he had gone through the things he'd gone through, A character would have to be really, really devoted and really confident in their own ability to build a place for themselves in the NHL, to keep trying for it without this kind of legacy aspect. Do you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that Jack isn't devoted to hockey and isn't confident in his ability to build a place for himself, although I don't know if he is. We'll never know for sure because that's not explored. I don't mean to diminish at all Jack's, you know, struggles. However... Being the number one draft pick is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I don't know that everyone would feel able to come back from not being able to go through with that experience and then continue to try to be in the NHL. That takes us a, a certain level of believing you have access. In the strip PDJ from early year three,
0: there is a note on a blog post, now that Jack is in the NHL, where Ngozi writes, How many guys in the NHL want to punch Bad Bob's special snowflake of a son in the face? Talk about getting everything handed to you. How many guys spend half their careers in the AHL eating pox, six-round draft picks, working their way up, not cruising into the league after a lovely break at a liberal arts college? Yeah, obviously, this is one of the very many things that we'll talk about when we get there, because this strip trip is somewhat in the future for us. Whether or not that's meant to be read at face value, it is the case that most people do not have the experience that Jack Zimmerman is having, and like even without all of the sort of like connections, insights having an authority figure in his life who intimately understands what it is that he wants to do and what he has to do to get there and will support it. He's in a financial situation where the idea that he would have to just like pick a real career and get like a sustainable job is not seemingly a concern of his. I think there's a kind of missing piece to this because we don't actually know how clear it was or how clear it is when Jack starts at Samwell, and indeed even at this point in time in the comic, whether or not he will actually end up on an NHL team. By the start of year two, I think it's very clear that he will end up on an NHL team. But at this point, it seems rather nebulous whether or not this, you know, redemption plan of his is necessarily going to work. It's constantly being pushed on us that it's like unfair to compare Jack to his father. But I'm honestly not sure that it is. He is consciously replicating What his father did using, presumably, resources provided to him by his father. Why? I think it would be irresponsible not to make that comparison, would it not? What, like, that wouldn't make any sense. Like, just pretending that you don't know, like, who this
1: person is and where he came from would be entirely illogical. To reference our South Park Check, Please episode, I think it's in keeping with the ultimately weirdly conservative aspect of the comic, which asks to take every individual at that individual's value and not really think very much about, you know, any other part of their life. The weird fake meritocracy of Samuel Mantaki, I guess. And so that, I think, is part of the comic's ethos, whereas in the real world, like, yeah, of course. It's not only irresponsible to not compare Jack to his father or at least recognize why Jack is where he is and where he's coming from. It's impossible. You just can't not think about it. I mean, if Jack decided to leave hockey behind and enter some other arena, of course, maybe then it would be unfair to compare them. Or at least while you can recognize where he'd be getting his support and resources, their careers just wouldn't be parallel in a way that might make sense to compare. But it's a really strange and I would say somewhat conservative idea that relates to me to, I don't think purposefully at all, but the sort of like narrative of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. You know what I mean? Like Jack isn't pulling himself up by his hockey bootstraps. Jack has been given every hockey privilege that exists. It is strange to me that the comics ethos seems to be that it's unfair to do this to Jack. What's also interesting to me is that I think a lot of people who adopt the narrative of pulling themselves up by their bootstraps when, in fact, they have been given quite a boost up by whoever they are and wherever they are do feel really insecure about it. So whether purposeful or not, I actually think that like, his reaction is really interesting and in keeping with what I would expect from someone who knew that he'd been given... All of these sort of special privileges. Do you know what I mean? But I don't know that the comic is willing to kind of go that far. The comic is also attached to Biddy's POV and from Biddy's point of view, it is unfair. So I think, you know, from sort of an in-text way of looking at it, you can make the argument that That's why it comes across that way. But it's kind of strange.
0: So the next claim that the announcers make about Jack is a comparison of Jack to the actress Lindsay Lohan. You want to know what? I actually think this is kind of a fitting and apt comparison. At least it's a lot more apt than comparing Bad Bob to Tim Tebow. Lindsay Lohan is somebody who was well-known and well-regarded as a child actress starting in the late 1990s. The sort of peak, the apogee of her career was that she starred in the movie Mean Girls in 2004, And following that, her career dissolved into a sort of slow, drawn-out series of box office failure combined with intensely public, humiliating drug and, like, bad behavior, gossip rag reporting. This went on for, like, many years longer than I really remembered it going on for, The fact that she was this, like, object of intense media scrutiny was probably, like, a major contributor to what ended up happening to her. In 2004, she released a song called Rumors. Oh, boy, this was, like, a a hot song that year. Or at least it was among my friend group. And I'm not going to sing you the whole song, although just you know, send us an ask if you'd be interested in that. But the lyrics in this song are basically like, I'm tired of rumors starting. I'm sick of being followed. Get your cameras off of me. Please respect my privacy. It's not like a good song. Those are literally the lyrics. So you can tell that this was something that was either personally weighing on her, and this is like a cri de corps, Or she understood that this was like the media discourse about her and she was responding to it. Not to make this too much about like what celebrity culture of the mid to late 2000s was like, but this was certainly like an endemic industry of childhood going into young adult stars, mostly women being, like, dragged into the spotlight as they started to develop autonomy and make mostly bad decisions about, like, how to comport themselves in public after spending their youths being tightly controlled. Jack Zimmerman, of course, overdoses in 2009. So this is right around the tail end of this era of sort of like Us Weekly, TMZ, celebrity culture, gossip reporting. Lindsay Lohan failed ultimately to transition from a precocious child and teen star, like a wunderkind, to any kind of like adult career, whatever that means. Of course, adulthood is a specious concept. Uh, Jack in this strip is being structured as basically facing the same problem, that he was a wunderkind, and then he had a public meltdown with drug and alcohol problems, and now he's failed to develop an adult career. It's also really interesting to me that the example that Jack is compared to is like a woman, there are many examples of, like, young men and, like, male child stars who have had similar types of implosions. But that's not the example that's used here. Interestingly enough, uh, Lindsay Lohan also had a public relationship with a woman, uh, the DJ Samantha Ronson, at the, I guess, height of of that relationship. It was 2008 to 2009. And, um... You know, I had forgotten that until I was kind of looking into Lindsay Lohan for this episode.
1: Yeah, I think that this is part of what makes the comparison interesting, although I'm not sure how much of it was purposeful or not. Fairly recently, Lohan claimed that in fact, Samantha Ronson and she had always been more of best friends than of, you know, actual romantic partners. I remember that in 2013, she said they'd been in a relationship, but afterwards she figured out she was straight. This is... Something I remembered well about Lindsay Lohan related kind of to my own formative experiences of understanding queer people in public and what happened to them around a time when I was becoming a quote-unquote adult. Part of what made this relationship so fraught was the fact that, A, it was 2009 and it was a queer relationship, so like, whoa. It was very intensely discussed in kind of public forums because it was such a public queer relationship and because it was during Lindsay Lohan's like real struggles with her kind of DUIs and cocaine use and all these sort of bad behaviors or whatever that she was kind of getting up to. And I remember the conversation around her sexuality being like very derogatory a lot of the time, especially because Ronson was very obviously queer, like not particularly gender-conforming. Even though I don't know how purposeful this is, maybe Lindsay Lohan was just the celebrity that was most immediately to mind to use as a comparison. Like, I wonder whether Jack being closeted and read as sort of queer in some sense, I wonder whether that is the reason that Ngozi reached for that comparison, whether consciously or not. I think it's really interesting. I'm
0: not the kind of person who follows this specific thing. So the fact that I have any frame of reference for it is telling of, like, how visible and, like, how prevalent it was in, like, I don't know, magazine covers in the grocery store type of context. Uh, My recollection is that there was this sort of back and forth between salacious speculation over the fact that this older you know like dj from a you know different sort of like party culture was effectively like leading Lindsay lowen astray and like exacerbating her inherent problems but then there'd be these competing reports i recall that like no samantha ronson is a really stabilizing grounding force in Lindsay lowen's life so there was this weird like public discourse over the meaning of this relationship. Uh, I found, yeah, an article from People Magazine from 2019, so pretty recent, where Lindsay Lohan does literally say, like, we really were more like friends. So it's just funny that, like, so many, like, public same-sex women's relationships these days are, like, The kind of joke about them is like, oh, they're just, you know, gal pals. But here we have somebody who was in this relationship basically saying like, no, we were actually just gal pals. I just thought that was a funny reversal. Again, I think it's uh, really hard to know without actually getting any kind of comment about intent from the author directly. You know, I think it's an available reading that, you know, you might as well make since it's there. It's an association that's cropping up for somebody. But it's also, yeah, it's also the case that like, well, you know, Lindsay Lohan just like is a super salient example of like a larger phenomenon. This woman's personal life was so discussed that she has a Wikipedia page for her personal life. Like, it's not just a subsection on her Wikipedia page, it's its own Wikipedia page. That's how astronomically outsized the focus on this one woman as a tabloid sensation who represented a certain kind of like crashed and burned precocious talent was. So It's really hard to know if this is just like a name that is shorthand for something the same way that like Lucille Ball was being used early on in the comic. It's also possible to like, pull on all of the various associations that this particular person has with Jack Zimmerman,
1: incidentally or not. I think it's really interesting that this is an example of sort of public questioning of sexuality and then afterward, as Lohan said, you know, kind of like coming to terms with what her sexuality is, i.e. straight. And I think that it's interesting to me in part because that public questioning was so toxically discussed in many ways, but Lohan herself and her... Sexuality being, you know, up in the air or sort of like a, a thing to discuss was not treated kindly, especially. And at least that's as I recall from the era. And so when we put, if you take Jack Zimmerman and you pretend he's real for a hot second, like this is all, his formative, I don't think he's paying attention to celebrity news any more than, you know, maybe probably less than you were probably less than I was because I similarly wasn't paying close attention, but um, these, but it was everywhere. It was impossible to escape. And so, you know, if this is like right around the time of the draft and this is one of the sort of like public queer figures who's being dragged essentially through the mud some of the time because of that queerness, like this is part of the context, which eventually leads to Jack's OD. So it's just kind of interesting to think about, you know, what questioning identity even in sort of the leftist, you know, sinful, pro-gay LA Hollywood arena looked like, compared to the very conservative, like very obviously homophobic world of the NHL. In terms of like, how
0: much would something like this weigh on Jack? Well, I mean, we can really only guess, can't we? Because we literally never get any thoughts from him about how he constructs his own sexuality, what sorts of external sources he's looking at. We never get any comment from him of what he's thinking about, what he's looking at, how he's formed his own views. We can really only make assumptions. Informed assumptions, of course. And also Jack is somebody who's like seemingly pretty ignorant of what's going on in pop culture, like more so than most characters. So you can really only, like, make educated guesses about how these particular things would await on him. The next claim that's made about Jack by these announcers is that uh, Samwell is not really considered that great a hockey school. And I think this is uh, interesting to raise because we hear this reiterated later by Parse, presuming that he's talking about Samwell when he calls Jack's team shitty and not the Falconers. And of course, we'll get to that strip and I'm sure it'll take us eight hours to break it all down. Here's an antecedent to that. Uh, there is the question that you raised of, has anyone else from Samwell ever gone to the NHL? Uh, and the answer is actually given in the blog post to one of the Parse comics where Ngozi does a Q&A and she says, A few guys have been drafted to NHL teams, but like 90% stayed on the farm with occasional NHL appearances. Like, they're solid guys, but it's the ECAC, you know? I think that's why the hockey world was shocked when Jack enrolled at Samwell. I guess that Zimmerman kid is giving up on following his dad, huh? This doesn't make a ton of sense, unless it's that the guys who were drafted to the NHL chose to defer and go to Samwell... They probably wouldn't have done that like if they were that great in the first place like that Yale guy we discussed when we were talking about Samwell versus Yale uh, 2, I think it was. Most people who are like really prime NHL prospects just go to the NHL. They don't waste their time dicking around in college or they do maybe like a year or two at college. So yeah, I mean, I feel like it's probably at this point, mostly guys going to Samwell who are like, even if they were good enough, like for the NHL and or the AHL affiliate leagues thereof, they weren't going to be like top contenders necessarily. The announcers next claim teams aren't going to be scrambling to get Jack on their rosters, which is interesting because, like, arguably they are, actually. When we see him picking a hockey team at the end of year two, he has to pick between multiple offers. We also get the proposition that Parse makes to him. So, yeah, I mean, he seems wanted. I don't know if it was like an intense bidding war for him, but he has to choose at least. It's like not a straightforward decision because he's got more options than none. And then there's the claim that he's going to be mediocre at best. And for me, this is where this kind of like breaks down into meanness rather than like rational claims that are based on like the rules of hockey as informed by how it functions as an industry in the real world.
1: And I think the reason that it's mean is mostly because he literally just called this hat trick that Jack pulled off, quote, phenomenal. The critique of Jack stops being about like who Jack is in the hockey world and his skill and starts being about his basically mental health and ability to to get it together, as he says, you know, earlier as one of the the caster says earlier it becomes this speculation about what jack will be able to do in the nhl that is not immediately informed by in fact what jack is actually doing or where jack is actually from and who jack actually is
0: following this particular segment on sports chat or whatever the fuck ransom holster and shitty are defensive of jack and they're all scowling at the screen Whereas Biddy is looking at Jack.
1: I just want to do a very brief Biddy eye size check. They're not at their full potential, but they're definitely bigger than they had been. And they're like somewhere between a quarter and a third of his face. That's all. I just noticed it and wanted to point it out. You can tell that Biddy is like fixated on Jack. It's like
0: he's more concerned about how Jack is doing than he is angry at the announcers. The way that this panel is constructed is actually really effective and I really love it. The way that Jack's devastated look is like the largest, most frontal thing but not the focus of the image is really lovely. He really truly looks like he is in some sort of like hybridized shock and pain. His eyes have lines under them in a way that they like don't usually. His hands appear to be either shaking or he's, like, tensely twisting the paper napkin. Throughout the comic, there are frames where Ngozi wants to communicate that Jack is experiencing anxiety and he's, like, shaking. So it's not totally clear to me if this is supposed to signify that he's, like, you know, nervously, like, gripping or twisting what's in his hands, or if he's, like, starting to shake like he's about to have a panic attack something that something that she does communicate in the future. I don't know, it's just like a really striking image of somebody having a moment of intense devastation. And yeah, I mean, it really, really makes me feel for him, even though like, he's an asshole. And also, as we'll get to, like, I don't even think what these dudes are saying is, like, that wrong or so out of line or, like, that uncalled for. Like, I don't think they're doing anything that awful. But something about, like, Jack's look on his face in this panel is just, like, really, really devastating. He's hurt. And we've, you know, only rarely seen him communicating
1: vulnerability with anything other than meanness. I love this panel and it's for all the reasons you just mentioned. It's the first time that we've seen Jack emotionally not try to filter or not be able to filter what he's feeling through either distancing tactics, like when Biddy talks to him about his dad or through meanness I think it's, like, beautiful. I really feel every single character's individual reaction. Jack's devastated. Biddy's worried about Jack. Shitty's indignant. Holster doesn't like Jack, but is still like, well, that guy's an asshole, or that gentleman was an asshole is actually what he says, and he has this kind of skeptical, resigned look on his face. And Ransom also has a kind of indignant look on his face. I love that I feel each individual character's emotional reaction to this moment and how they're slightly different, but they're aligned. And I also think this is the first time we see these characters emotionally united in any way. (laughs) Like we've seen them all together before, rarely. Certainly in the extras, we see them together, um, mostly in sort of like funny, goofy moments. We've seen them together in the comic less often than in the extras, but they're, you know, hanging out, they're friends, being friendly. But I think this is the first time, even though they're they're playing hockey together, we haven't even really seen them united in their desire to win because there's always been some kind of rift between Jack and Biddy. In those hockey moments. So I think this is the first time we really see these five main characters who we've grown to know over the past, you know, however many strips, united in some way by something. And I think that that's just like really beautifully manifested in this strip. I also think it's really interesting that the thing that's bringing them all together is by Jack meeting protection. Not that he necessarily needs protection, but I think that that protective instinct is what I'm seeing in all of these characters. Whereas later when Biddy becomes the heart of the team, that's not really the emotion that comes across. And, And we'll talk about it when we get there. But I think that that's like an interesting thing because Jack is the very heterosexual, feelingless, tall man who like doesn't, you know, need other people that's the role that he's been cast in. And yet in this moment, the thing that's bringing them all together is like him needing kindness.
0: I think that's really cool. In this last panel, Jack gets up and he clenches his fit and he says, excuse me, and starts to storm out. Biddy is looking up at him with concern and he says, Jack, that guy's just some idiot analyst. They're wrong. We, you and me, tomato, know that Yes, they're wrong, because we've, like, read the rest of the comic now. So obviously we know that, like, Jack does great in his hockey career. But, like, Biddy doesn't know that. He has no insight into that, and there's no basis for what he's saying. To me, it feels like kind of a hollow statement. It's like the knee-jerk reaction that you, like, make to somebody who's hurt without really, like thinking through what it is that you're saying. Biddy doesn't know that two years in the future, Jack is going to be winning a Stanley Cup. Like, he has no information with which to base that. I think you can read it as just, like, narrative convention. I think you can also read it as, like, the way in which Biddy offers support to people is sort of, like,
1: generic and baseless. He's pretty blandly supportive of everybody. He makes them food and he says like you can talk to me or something. He he doesn't really change how he acts depending on who he's talking to, which I think is interesting. Maybe because of sort of like cinnamon roll syndrome. Or something where everything he does needs to be universally acceptable and therefore some pieces of specificity or personality need to be taken out of it. I don't know. We can kind of continue to explore that, but I think it's interesting. It's interesting that Biddy is the sort of focus and Biddy's worry for Jack is the focus of the second to last panel and the last panel. It makes sense. He's the point of view character, but I think it's interesting that Jack saying, excuse me, we don't see his head. We see his clenched fist It's emotionally distancing from what he's experiencing right now. His back is kind of a barrier between like the pain that he's feeling and Biddy. And I think there's like an interesting staging going on where again, Biddy is reaching out to him. And again, he's kind of rejecting Biddy's kindness or, you know, reassurance as he did when Biddy insisted on talking to him about his dad thing. And this is one of the panels where Jack's head is not in the panel that I don't feel like it's weird. I actually feel like it's effective. Sometimes when Jack's head doesn't show up in a panel, I feel confused about it. But this one I feel good about.
0: Well, I think it goes to show that this is not really about Jack. Like, I mean, even though, yes, textually, this comic strip is effectively about Jack, it's not really about Jack. It's about how Biddy feels about Jack. If it were about Jack, we'd get to see Jack's face as he's walking out, and we'd see maybe, like, you know, the moment when he steps outside of the restaurant or where he goes next. But it's not about Jack. It's about how Biddy relates to Jack. So the fact that Biddy has, like, a deepening crush on Jack, as we'll see at the end of this semester, like, that's what matters, I think it's argue. okay, so the episode that I finished editing and put up today, Linemates had us discussing whether or not Biddy is compassionate. And we sort of said no. Well, I definitely said no, because we never see him being compassionate. I think it's arguable that this is an example of Biddy being compassionate. However, I feel like compassion is a much deeper and less fleeting condition than this. This is like, I mean, I don't know what a compassionate response would be. I think it would be like a more involved, deeper, and more sustaining response than just being like, don't feel bad, which is essentially what Biddy is saying here.
1: Biddy is offering a dismissal, but it's not an informed dismissal. And in dismissing what he's saying, he's kind of flattening Jack's reaction to them. I guess certainly I don't think we're meant to read it that way, but that is in effect what he's doing because he says that guy's just some idiot analyst. They're wrong without, as you said, any way to ground that opinion. It's just kind of like you shouldn't be upset. That's one way that people try to comfort people. It's not very effective in my experience. Certainly doesn't seem like it would be something that would unpack any of the anxiety or frustration or insecurity or sadness that Jack is feeling. It just sort of feels like it would dismiss it. I think that that is really interesting for the same reasons that I think everything Jack and Biddy do together in a relationship is interesting. Not because I think it's great or, you know, the kind of relationship I would want to be in, but because I think it shows something about their relationship that is pretty fascinating to me. I think this is supposed to be compassion, I don't know that it is what I would understand to be compassion for that reason. If you look at the blog, there's a little section that says,
0: who said someone turned that shit off? Shitty. Shitty's used to indignantly defending Jack. He's been doing it since they were freshmen. It's a knee jerk reaction. That's actually very sweet and touching and tells you a lot about their relationship. So it's weird how we literally never see Shitty and Jack interacting in this comic, like, at all. Like, and I don't mean this strip. I mean, like, check, please. Uh, Again, we have discussed this. I'm not going to, like, drill any more into the issue than I already have. If you're just reading the comic, they have not interacted up to this point at all. So, okay, the fact that Shitty says turn that shit off from, like, off-screen in such a way that you need to clarify
1: in the blog, like, who even said it. I just want to second that I don't understand why we can't be textually sure that it's shitty who's saying this in the comic itself. I don't get it. I don't think it's good writing.
0: And I think I mean, hard. I guess this is just, like, you're using your blog to basically, like, answer questions that you created, like, in creating the comic strip because... Either you didn't have an editor or you didn't reread it or you just, like, made a goof. And people screw up all the time. It's fine. But increasingly, the blog just sort of becomes correcting things that should have been a different way in the comic in the first place. Case in point, this is also the blog where Ngozi admits that, yes, she fucked up. You can't go from the QM whatever, J-H-L... Into the NCAA. I don't have a problem with this. Again, we talked about this a lot. Like, what makes this a fictional, not a real world story, is that you have to invent these contrivances in order to have a story. But okay, that's where this is. And I feel like the blog is just sort of like over the duration of the comic. Not really enhanced. I mean, I guess it enhanced it for me, but effectively the role of the blog is just tell the reader how to read things because they weren't clear to the reader from the strip.
1: Biddy touches Jack's butt in this blog post in a kind of joking little sketch that's in it. Sigh. I'm like really upset that Jack has yet to kiss Biddy and Biddy has yet to touch Jack's butt. They were sitting right next to each other. You could have made it happen, but you didn't and I hate you. And then there's a picture of uh, Biddy hitting Jack in the ass saying boob and Jack being like, question mark, what is that? So I guess if you include the paratexts, Biddy does touch Jack's butt. Their relationship is being telegraphed in such a way in this comic, which is like the second time they've ever had any kind of emotional intimacy at all over the entire year that we've known them. But I guess at least Biddy has touched Jack's butt somewhere. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know Biddy has touched Jack's butt somewhere. Biddy never touches Jack's butt in
0: the comic. Like, I'm not including the paratex. Like, they're doing all sorts
1: of different things to each other, like, in huddle. This is more accessible than the huddle, though, because you don't have to pay for it. But I'm not making the argument. I don't care. My
0: point about Jack kisses Biddy, but Biddy never touches Jack's butt, I'm talking about, like, in the comic.
1: I just think it's interesting that it only occurs in this kind of like joking, winky little sketch and doesn't actually ever go anywhere. I will admit
0: that it's obvious that fake ESPN that we're watching in Jerry's here is obviously like a slightly more infotainment skew type of program than like hard news coverage. Sports journalism is a real thing. And journalism is like a field that has fairly rigid, highly developed codes of ethics that dictates how to cover and what to cover. I feel like a lot of people in fandom really don't understand this. And I'm not talking about check please fandom. I'm talking about like, At large, there seems to be like a real lack of understanding of how journalism works as a field. There's a concept called newsworthiness that basically posits that it is... Only ethical for journalistic outlets to cover things that are newsworthy, that is, they are worthy of being covered as if they were news. At the same time, it would be ethically irresponsible, you know, like an abdication of responsibility to not cover those things. Not covering the career of a former top draft prospect who won the hardest trophy to win in hockey as team captain. And he's also the son of one of the game's most legendary and winningest athletes would frankly be, like, a willful refusal to, like, do their job as journalists. Jack is a story. Jack is newsworthy. This is somebody who has been in the news previously. So part of journalistic responsibility is to continue reporting on newsworthy subjects and not just deciding, like, well, we're sick of this. Or, well, this person wouldn't necessarily want to be covered. Like, once you've put yourself forward as a subject of journalistic inquiry, you do not get to just like opt out because you don't feel like it anymore or because it hurts your feeling. The issue here is not so much that like the media is mean or the media is bad. It's that there's an exploitative hockey system that forces young men to opt into a brutal career at a very young age, and then proceeds to groom and condition them to tolerate and replicate the system by shedding a sense of self. I feel like the argument that the comic is making, if you follow it through to the very end, is that, like, the media is not fair and, like, people shouldn't be talking about Jack. And obviously there are things that are said, like, oh, he's going to be mediocre, that maybe veer from, like, journalistically ethical into just, like, you know, some old man being a douche. And it's not that there are, like, no bad actors or, like wacky elements of sports journalism or hockey coverage that don't need to refine their scope and in certain cases just like shut up but i feel like as a whole text check Please is basically like making the argument that like jack's problems are that like these old men are on tv talking about him and to a certain extent it's like No, like Jack has decided that he is going to exist in this highly public venue and reap all of the benefits that accords should he succeed in that venue. Ergo, it is the responsibility of the people who report and comment on what's happening in that venue to comment on and report on its participants, Jack included. Like, I don't know how much more I can make the point. And like, I'm not saying that Jack is like as bad as some of these people, but certainly something that's happening in like the national media scope in the US right now is an entire branch of our government. Indeed, an entire political party basically continues to make the case that like they think they're being treated unfairly like merely because they're being covered. That's not how that works. You don't get to just choose to opt out of being treated as newsworthy provided you are newsworthy. You can choose like not to participate in a story. You can decline to comment. You don't have to like give people your time or your energy But then the job of journalists, including commentators, is to do it without your participation.
1: That's it. That's my rant. It could have been really interesting if Jack and his experiences of being frustrated and harmed at times by being a public figure were explored in a nuanced way. But they're not. And so what ends up happening is that in the limited media that we engage with in check please, journalists are treated as invasive mostly I think. The fact is that Jack is to some extent a public figure and this is part and parcel of his career. It's not invasive for people to comment on public figures. That's part of being a public figure. That's something I think that the comic never really quite knows how to grapple with because it certainly turns the main characters into public figures on purpose of their own choosing. And yet what exactly that means is not explored in an especially nuanced way. And I wonder whether that has to do with Ngozi's own... I mean, I don't want to speculate too much, but I wonder whether her own experience of becoming a somewhat public figure is like part of that, you know? I don't know.
0: You know, hockey is an ecosystem that involves many moving parts. If not for the media surrounding hockey, reporting on and promoting hockey, there would be no hockey because there would be no venue to sort of like carry the message of hockey to an audience. It would be a game played in isolation. An industry is an ecosystem of different profit and publicity generating mechanisms propping each other up. And this is something that I do think the comic brushes up against at a couple of points. You know, a lot of the discourse about it especially on places like Fail Anon has been pretty rough because you know the position that Jack is going to be in for the rest of the, his life is the fact that like he is obligated to participate for like the pretty handsome salary that he's going to end up being paid and part of that is like participating in the wider ecosystem of hockey media Like, they're not just hiring him to play and win hockey games. They're also, you know, hiring him to be an object of conversation on shows like this. And you get a tension where, like, that fact of, like, the capitalist political reality of what an industry is butts up against, basically, the humanist concern of, like, what is the spiritual life of this man who is being pulled in various directions. And how does the industry further complicate and encumber him? It's just to a certain extent like an unresolvable issue. Other than that, hockey is an exploitative system that like constricts people at a point at which they are not able to make an informed decision about whether or not they wanna participate in that.
1: And the comic never actually unpacks the system. As we've discussed before and will continue to discuss, the way that the characters win in the system of hockey is by succeeding in it, not by undoing it. That's what makes some of this critique of how the system works or this critique of the way that it can emotionally impact the people in it a bit hollow. Because ultimately... You know, this is, this strip is part of why I thought that this comic was going somewhere in its critique of hockey culture, and it doesn't.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the reading that the comic wants you to make is just that, like, these old men on TV are mean, and Jack Zimmerman sure showed them by being
1: as good as they thought he wasn't. I mean, what's interesting to me is that I felt that this system and these people were so intricately drawn in so many ways and so thoughtfully explored and I, you know, I'll never know To what extent that was just me projecting and what's actually, I mean, I'll know, we'll read and we can discuss what's actually on the page, but I'll never know how much was intended or not. Even though the reading, I think you're right, is these men are mean, Jack showed them because of what eventually happens. When I consider this strip in a more contained way outside of its context or, you know, not yet knowing the context of the entire strip, like it still feels really complex to me. It still feels like this is looking at the unreconcilable truth of Jack's desire to play hockey, where he comes from, who his father is, what that means for him, and the cost that that's going to take on him, and yet the cost that he will gladly shoulder because of his relationship to hockey. Like, it still feels complex to me, even though I know ultimately the conclusion to the question that's drawn up in this trip is not complex.
0: We will continue to look at what's happening in the playoffs when we go to 1.19 playoffs part two. I'm secret OMG, and you can find me if you want to bother me with asks. Please do at Camellier, Camilliar, C-A-M-I-L-L-I-A-R, at Tumblr, my fixer on Familiar on AO3, I've also got a South Park Tumblr at S-K-R-T-O-M-G.
1: You can find me on Tumblr at tomatorights.tumblr.com and on AO3 as tomato underscore greens. And you can find us on Tumblr at checkdisplease.tumblr.com if you want to send us anything or not. You don't need to know where to find us if you don't want to send us anything. I guess, goodbye. Yeah,
0: bye. I'll uh, talk to you when we get to 1.19, Playoffs Part 2. See you then.